0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So let's go, if you're in First Kings chapter 18, and if they have a chance to pull that up, but before we... Do that. The video was going to show an introduction of where we're at at the timeline, because I always ask questions when I read the Bible. I'm like, why is this happening? You know, where are these people at? What's going on? Why is God doing this? Why are the people doing this? And as you read through the whole Old Testament, it's like a cycle. God saves them, performs the miracles. They repent. They come back to God and then they fall away again. And then God brings somebody, he brings the judges, he brings the prophets, he brings miracles, and it happens all over again, over again, over again. Ain't it just like us as human beings, right? It's just like our life. I was thinking about my life this week. That's the same thing we do. But here's the difference. Thank God that he saved us through the power of the cross the gospel saves us guys and what is the gospel the gospel is the good news that jesus came and died the perfect sacrifice none of you none of I none of us can ever pay the price that christ paid for you and i to have a relationship with him it's only through jesus christ not our works not our coming to church nothing else everything else comes after or becomes meaningful when salvation comes in your life. When Jesus comes and changes you. So, in 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm gonna just give you a little bit of background. And this is a famous story that, um, that's taught in Sunday school. You know, they make plays out of this. It's about Elijah, who's read, or if you were ever in Sunday school, before I came to know the Lord, I was in Sunday school. And this was taught in the Samoan language and the English language. And it was like a scary story to me because there was fire and there was judgment and there was death. I was like, man, I, I don't want to go after that. I don't want to die. Right? So this is Elijah. So it, Elijah first appears on the scene of the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17. So. He suddenly appears on the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17 when Ahab, Ahab is the king now, and he was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Very little is known about him except that he was a Tishbite. That possibly means that he was from Tishbe. So that's all that we really know about Elijah. He appears in chapter 17. And God uses him greatly and mightily to bring Israel back to him. So at this point in Israel's history, the nation of Israel, right, was divided into two. And you can go and read 1 Kings. It's, it's an amazing read, guys. If you, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, um, Chronicles, you can read all about the kings and how Joshua brought them into the promised land and how all this happened and why this is happening now. So at this point in Israel's history, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. So we have the northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. So the southern kingdom as a whole, they were still trying to follow God. The northern kingdom at this time when Ahab is king, they have totally rejected the Lord. They have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and they are now worshiping idols. Specifically, the idol of Baal. So the northern kingdom had turned away from, the northern kingdom had turned away from the king Rehoboam, which was the king of, king of the south. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and followed Jeroboam and made him king in order to secure the kingdom. He introduced the idols, the worship of idols. He compromised because he wanted the ten tribes that was going with him to follow him. So because during this time, uh, Solomon had already built the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem, and in order for the northern people, the northern kingdom to go to worship, they would have to go to the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And so the kings throughout throughout their, throughout their reign, they didn't want the people to go back to Jerusalem because that's the southern kingdom. They wanted to keep them up there and follow them. And how did they do that? They introduced the idols. They started marrying, intermarrying with other uh, people around them, like the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, all these. If you read about it, it's a great read. They make movies about it all the time. So they wanted, when Elijah comes on the scene, the king is Ahab. He's married to Jezebel. And I don't think I've ever met a girl named Jezebel or I, I've i never heard of anybody calling their daughter Jezebel. Jezebel, when you think about it, just brings a reputation, right? It's like a bad reputation. So when Elijah comes to the scene, the king is Ahab. He's married to Jezebel, who has been a priestess for Baal and Baal worship. She was greatly renowned for her wickedness and led Ahab in the northern kingdom deeper and deeper into sin. So right now, during this time, Ahab is the king, the northern kingdom, and they had just have fallen away from God. They have just forsaken the ways of the Lord. And he, in Elijah's first appearance, he confronts King Ahab with a prophecy from God that there would not be any rain for the next few years. We come to find out it was about three and a half years, Right? as a result of the northern kingdom's wickedness. And from there, God tells Elijah to go to the east side of the Jordan to a brook called Carith. And this is all in First uh, Kings chapter 17. It's a great read. What I would suggest, after, you know, probably later on this week, just read through First Kings. You'll see the history and the background of what's going on. So in Elijah's first appearance, he confronts King Ahab with a prophecy it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years because there was wickedness and God was bringing judgment because the gods they were worshiping right now. Baal was supposedly the God of fertility, the God of fruitfulness, the God of rain, the God of thunder and lightning and fire. And it's so funny how God is going to use chapter 18 to really show who that God really is. So that's what's going on right now. So in Elijah's Elijah's first appearance, he confronts the king with a prophecy. From there, God tells Elijah, and this is in chapter 17, he tells Elijah to go to the east side of the Jordan to a brook called Kireth. He was able to drink from the water of the brook, and God fed him by sending, guess what? How did God feed Elijah? By sending ravens to bring him food. Now keep in mind, the drought is going on. Who knows, maybe it's six months into the drought or it's just beginning. You know, the water's starting to disappear from the streams and the rivers and whatnot. There's no rain, but God tells Elijah to go, and Elijah goes. And when the brook dried up, when the brook dried up, Elijah was told by God to go to a widow in Seraphath. the journey was at least 120 miles from where Elijah was at that brook. So Elijah did not complain. He went because he already knows what what's what's about to come. So God tells him, okay, you're done here. I want to take you somewhere else, but I'm going to provide for you because the famine is great. No water, eventually no food, but I will provide for you, Elijah. Isn't that God in our lives today? He always provides for us. So this widow had been affected by the results of the drought and was out gathering firewood. So this widow was out gathering firewood. She didn't know what was going on. God already orchestrated and planned all this to go on. And so the widow was out. She was gathering firewood because the drought, the famine is great. And Elijah sees her and Elijah tells her, hey, can you please bring me a drink of water? And when she turned to get it from him for him, he also asked her, could you please also bring me something to eat? And then this is what the widow would say. Then the widow informed Elijah that she didn't have anything except some flour and oil, just enough for her and her son's last meal. So this widow is out gathering firewood to make the last meal because all that that's all they could afford. That's all they have left before. She was planning to die with her son because they have nothing to eat. The famine is severe. And this is just one family. Can you imagine the thousands of families that are affected because of Israel's sin? So Elijah asked her to make something for him first, and then gave the gave the promise that the flour and oil would not run out for as long as it was needed. Can you imagine the widow? Like... In her thinking, she's probably like, I have nothing else to lose. So I'm going to go ahead and give you something to drink. I'm going to go ahead home and make you something to eat and bring it to you. She was faithful. She didn't know what was going on. She just saw this guy and this guy is telling her things. And maybe God has already moved on her heart. She goes and she acts on it. And God is faithful. faithful that he provides the flour and the oil, and they never run out throughout this drought. So Elijah stayed with this widow and her son for the rest of the drought. But during this time, the woman's faith was tested a second time when her son suddenly died. She questioned why this happened, but Elijah had no answer. That's like us. Sometimes things in life happen This COVID thing, people die, the government's messed up, the world is messed up, we don't understand why things happen, but you and I as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we don't question God, we trust God. We can bring our doubts and our frustrations to him, he can handle it, right? Right? We bring it to him. We don't try to, we don't try to solve those things on our own and hold on to them and, and try to just, uh, you know, with our own unction, strive through them. We bring them to God. And so Elijah brings this boy. Elijah says to her, bring me your son. Give me your son. And then Elijah took him to the upper room and cried out to God. Elijah cried out to God. And as believers, we need to cry out to God in our times of need. And he said, and then the Lord answered Elijah's cry, and the son was raised to life. The widow was then convinced, the widow was convinced of Elijah's calling and status as a man of God. So this goes on in 1 Kings chapter 17. This is the background. Now we're coming to chapter 18, right? Right? This is the background. Now we're coming to chapter 18. And before we do that, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 16. Sarah, if you would bring that up. I want to give you a context of who Ahab is, okay? So in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 33, and this, I'm reading out the New Living Translation. That's the New King James. And this is who Ahab is. Ahab Son of Omri began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. So remember, he's in, he's in Israel and uh, King Asa's in Judah. So he reigned in Samaria. This king reigned, he ruled in Samaria for 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. This king right here did evil in the Lord's sight. If you're a king, if you're a president, if you're a governor and you do evil in the Lord's sight and you try to have people follow you to do wicked and evil ways, we see the outcome. Destruction. And this is what's happening right now. Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And this is... This is even more telling, even more than any of the kings before him. This guy took evil to 10 times X. He 10X evil. If you think of the most evil thing you can do today, 10 times that, that's where we're at in scripture right now. Verse 31 says, and as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel. Now this is Jezebel the daughter of King Ethabal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in in worship of Baal. Can you see where a little bit of compromise, a little bit of compromise, where you end up at? They wanted to be like the other nations around them that they forsook God in order to make allegiance with other countries and say, we're just like you. I'm going to marry, let's get together and ha- and marry, you know, you're the president of that place, let's, I've got a daughter here, I've got a son here. Let's intermarry and let's bring our kingdoms together. And this is what's happening. But they did not know that this kingdom that they are married into worship a totally different God. And they follow sinful ways. And this is what's happening in their lives. So Jeroboam, he married. So Ahab, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethabal, the Sidonians, and he got. They began to bow down and worship of Baal. First, Ahab built a temple. First thing he does after he marries, he builds a temple to a to an idol, an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. That's another god. They're introducing gods after gods, false gods, into the kingdom of Israel. And he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord the God of Israel, than any other kings of Israel before him. This is what's happening when we come into chapter 18. Ain't that crazy? That's crazy to me. Like, you know, it's just, you know, God is here. My ways are here. It's not going to hurt anybody one step. God is there. I can just go back. But no. God is, God is there. I'm here. Hey, I have a little bit more freedom. Other people starting to like me. We can get along better. Another step. God is two steps away. Another step. You're just steps away. Now you're yards away. Now you're a quarter mile away. Now you're a mile away. And now you're as far as Amarillo. <laughs> and now you're in New Mexico, but God's in love with Texas. You go along into Arizona, but God's here. You go into Sin City, Las Vegas, but God is here. It's okay. We, we want to go to Vegas and, and be like them. Why, why can't we be like Las Vegas? Why can't we be like other places? I can always go back to God, but you're miles and miles and miles away. That is one step away, guys. One step away. Let's, let's, let's take inventory of ourselves and not be miles away. Even though you're a mile away from God, God is one word away from you. Right? Right? So now we're getting into, that's a little bit of introduction, we're coming into chapter 18, and this is where the action begins. So, and I've got four points that I want to pull out of this, we're going to cover the whole chapter, so don't look at me, that's uh, 46 verses, but this is going to be like a firing shoot, we're going to go bam, 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 it's going to be like you're watching a movie, it's 10 45 right now, we'll probably end up at 11.15 to cover this whole chapter. You're like, but you're not banned. You don't cover chapters like that. Watch me. <laughs> to God's glory. So the first point I want to pull this out is obedience will lead us into God's will. Obedience will lead us into God's will. Uh, 1 Kings 18.1, it says this. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the 30 years, saying... Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went, went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Let me just go back, verses 1 and 2. So the drought happens, um, Elijah is with the widow, and God told him, okay, enough of this, I'm getting ready to do something great. Uh, Elijah, go and meet Ahab. There's no question. He went, right? He went. And sometimes in our lives, God says, I want you to do something and you have a choice. Do I go or do I stay or do I wait? But we are never going to get the blessing of God if we don't step out in faith. So um, Elijah just went. He went. And And Ahab had called, in in, uh, 18 verse 3, Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his household. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. So Obadiah was a faithful servant of God. He was a secret agent in this evil empire. God used him to hide the prophets the prophets that were left, because Jezebel, uh, Ahab's wife, was going out. He would, he, she wanted to eliminate anything of God of Israel from Israel. She wanted them to worship her God, Baal and Asherah. So she started killing off these. And this is what's going on right now. So in 18.5, it says, And Ahab has said to Obadiah, Obadiah, go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass and keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. Can you imagine this famine is so great that Ahab, the king, you would realize if you're a king, you would have many servants, right? Where are the servants? Why does he have to go out? The famine has brought judgment to this land, and Ahab maybe has no servants left. It's just him and Obadiah. His kingdom's falling apart. And instead of thinking about the people, he thinks about his animals, like his riches. I could care less about the people. I want to get my animals fed because that's where my power lies is with the animals that I have. That's what they, that's what, uh, the riches are back in those days. So he doesn't care anything about the people. He doesn't, uh, Give a darn about the people being starved or have no water, no food to drink. He cares about his, his little animals. And so he sends Obadiah and himself there to going out looking for streams of water so the animals could have something to eat and drink so they won't die. And so in 18.6 it says, so they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. So famine has caused him to work. This famine that uh, God has brought, without no rain. Probably this is the third, you know, three and two three years and like two or three months into this drought. This is what's going on. He can't take it out anymore. His servants have left, so he has to go out and do the work. Eighteen seven says now Obadiah was on his way. Suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, "Is that you, my Lord Elijah?" Is that you, my Lord, Elijah? Can you imagine Obadiah in this wicked land, this wicked place? He's probably feeling, I'm all alone. There's nobody else here to help, you, help me, but I believe in God. I believe Him so much that I will take the prophets that are left and hide them away because God uses them for his kingdom. And yet he sees Elijah and he's like overwhelmed. He's like, Elijah, is that you? We have been looking for you. Obadiah was on his way. Suddenly, Elijah met him in 18.7, and he recognized him and fell on his face. Is that you, my Lord, Elijah? 18.8, and he answered, Elijah answered, it is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. God is starting to work because of obedience of Elijah. God told, God told Elijah, Elijah, go. This is, your, this is your mission. I'm sending you. To accomplish my will here in what's going to happen next. In 18.8, it says, And he answered him, It is, and he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. In uh, verse 9, it says, So he said, This is Obadiah. This is kind of comical to me. Obadiah saying, How have I sinned against you, Elijah? You're delivering me to the king who have killed all these prophets. And you want me to go? I'm the only one left. I've been serving God where I'm at, and you're telling me to go to my death. If I go to him, he's going to kill me because now he knows that I follow God. Don't you feel like that at times? Like you're the only one in your workplace or the only one in your family? Like, sometimes I feel like that. It's like, God, what is going on? You know, at my place of employment, you know, there's people that are professed to be Christians. But their lives, I mean, their lives, you just look, and it, the Bible tells us not to judge. We are not the judge, right? The word of God judges people. You proclaim the word of God. That's not you judging people. That's the word of God telling people, hey, you're messed up. You profess to be Christian, and I've been in sales business. You know, I started in sales back in 2005, and you know what they say about used car salespeople? It's like we are the third worst people, next to lawyers and some other people. And I'm like, and I see that. As a believer, you're like, man, people will like scheme up to try to get customers, and and you know, I always try to serve God with integrity, and everywhere He's He's taken me as far as. In my profession, the sales industry, automotive specifically, he's always blessed me. Like I would go to a dealership or a new employment. I would just go there just to, I just want to sell my cars, make my money and go home. That's it. And yet God will bring me into someplace and I feel like I'm the only believer over there. And God says, I have a plan for you. I'm going to raise you up, put you in management, put you in a position of authority. And I want you to perform your tasks and duty with integrity. And I want other people to see. In the past, I brought, uh, my fellow salespeople here that were just sinners. These are guys in their like forties and fifties. They've had a hard life. They can get no other jobs but to be in sales. So they go in sales because if you can sell, that's all we want you to do is just sell and make, make the, make the bottom line the bottom line. So I remember in the past, I brought a couple of them to church and these are like hard guys been through divorce, uh, drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. Hard, hard, hard. They saw something in my life and they said, "So, you know we noticed you never curse or you you are just you're just different." Like, "Yeah, I try to follow Jesus the best I can." So I opened up the conversation and it was like and and then we started talking, we become more of friendships with them. And then I invited them to church. There was two of them. They sat back there. This was probably back in 08, 09, when we first got into this building. They came in. The power of the Holy Spirit was already working in their lives with things past. They came in, sat back there. The gospel was given. Both of them raised their hands. I don't know where they're at today because, you know, salespeople just jump from one job to the better because it's greener pastures. I don't know where they're at today, but they heard the gospel. Just because I think I'm the only one there serving God, God will use you where you're at. A student, a student, God will use you where you're at. If you feel lonely and depressed and just like, what is going on in my life? I don't know what's going on. God will use you where you're at. Just like Obadiah, right? So back in 18.9, so Obadiah said, how have I sinned against you, Elijah? You want me to go back to Ahab? He's going to kill me. In 10, it says, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you, Elijah. And when they said he is not here, they took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So Elijah was Israel's most wanted guy. He was like uh, number one on the FBI's most wanted list for Israel. Ahab has been looking for Elijah to kill him three plus years. And Obadiah is telling him, you want me to go back there? Elijah, Ahab has been looking for you to try to kill you. And you want me to go tell him that you're here and that I knew about it. What do you think he's going to do to me? 1811. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. In 12, it says this, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you out, will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. That is an honest fear that Obadiah has. He's questioning, why are you sending me to die when I have served the Lord? 1813, it says, was it not report, Elijah, haven't you heard what I did? That when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave and fed them, from, fed them with bread and water. And now you tell me, Elijah, go tell your master, Elijah's here, he will kill me. So Obadiah's questioning Elijah, He saying, what are you talking about? You want me to go and tell Ahab that you're here? Don't you know that I serve God too? Then this brings great comfort to Obadiah. In 1815, it says, Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Ain't that amazing? Confidence in God takes fear away. So Elijah assures Obadiah that he's not going to die today because he's going to show up. And Obadiah has to take Elijah's word. It's like, are you sure you're gonna, are you sure you're gonna show up? Because I don't want to go and present this thing and then you don't be there because I know your reputation. You can appear and disappear, appear and disappear. Are you sure you're gonna show up? And Elijah gives him his word. That should just be us like believers. When we tell somebody we're gonna do something, we better do it. Right? Our word means something. We're not other people that we tell somebody we're gonna do something and we don't do it conviction for me right our word means something elijah's word meant something to obadiah it gave him confidence to go and see the king so now we are in 17, 18, 17. then it happened when ahab saw elijah that ahab said to him is that you o troubler of israel so ahab meet, meets elijah And Elijah said, there you are, you troublemaker. I have been looking for you. You've been on my most wanted list, and I could not find you, but finally we meet. You're you're the one who brought me all this trouble. You're the cause of the rain being gone. You're the cause of my animals having no food to eat. You're the cause of everything that's going on in Israel. But yay, yay, yay. This is what Elijah says. And Elijah answered in verse 18, it says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken. You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed after other gods, specifically the God of Baals. That's why you're in the place you're at, Ahab. It's not because of me, it's because of your sinful Sinful ways. You've caused not only yourself, but you've caused the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, to sin with you. And now you're just so far from God. you built these altars towards idols. You're the one who brought this on. I love Elijah. He is bold. He's telling him like it is. And we as believers, we need to be bold in our walk. Bold being compassionate. We have to call sin what it is. Sin. We can't sugarcoat those things. God loves the world that he gave his only begotten son Jesus that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life, will not perish. We have to say that. There is one God, there is not there is not many gods. Either though even though people proclaim there's many ways of coming to God, But if you're a follower of God and you read the Bible, the Bible says specifically there's only one way to come to God. His son, Jesus Christ. His son, Jesus Christ. And Israel has fallen way off. They have forsaken the way to God, and that's to follow his commandments. And this is what happens. In 1819, the second point I want to make is religion will kill you. Religion will kill you, but God will save you. All religions are not equal. They are not equal. Your Buddha will not save you. Your Muhammad will not save you. There's only one person that will save you. Your coming to church will not save you. There's only one person, one way, and that is Jesus Christ That is the only way. Not these false idols, not these false gods. In 1819, Elijah is very bold and he tells himself, Now therefore, Ahab, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel. The 400, now listen to this, 450 prophets of Baal. So there's 450 prophets or people. 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So you have these two gods that they are worshiping, but El and Asherah, and they both have all these prophets, and that's why Jezebel wants to get rid of all the prophets of the true God, and wants these prophets raised up so everybody could follow them and do what they say. That's like a state-funded uh, religion right there, right? State-funded religion, like I want you to follow this religion, it's the state's religion. And sometimes we look into our world today, there's like religions that if you're in a certain country, this is the religion you follow. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that's coming to the United States. Christianity, if you read the history of the United States, the U.S. is just a really young country still. But yet, this place was founded because people wanted to get away from the persecution that was happening in Europe. They wanted to serve God the way they wanted to. They didn't want the government to tell them how to serve God. The Holy Spirit was doing the revival, so they, all that stuff happened, and they came over here to religious freedom. And we have, thank God, we have religious freedom today. But that is slowly going away. That is not slowly anymore. It's like fastly gone. And we as people of God need to be bold in our faith, not to be arrogant, but to proclaim the gospel. What is the gospel that Jesus saves people? That's the bottom line. Jesus saves people. You're a sinner. Jesus will save you. Who's Jesus? Great. Let me tell you about him. Let's get a Bible because that's his word. Okay. 1820. So Ahab sent for the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on mountains of Carmel. Can you imagine? They're on a mountain. Just, just imagine. When they came out of Egypt, it was like million Probably a million plus people, right? And now you have the 10 tribes that are in Israel. There's two tribes left in Judah. And how many people is that? That's thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I could just imagine Mount Carmel. If you go do Google Maps, you'll see it. It's not too far from the Mediterranean Sea. You'll see it. I could just imagine that whole mountain surrounded by people. And they were, And Elijah was on top of the mountain with these false priests issuing the challenge of what was going to happen. So Ahab sent the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah, we're on verse 21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. They were so convicted of their sin, they knew that God was doing something that they knew when you know that you're in, when you know that you're a sinner and you're just unrighteous, there's like nothing. You, <laughs> what am I going to say to God? God, I've done this for you. I've done that for you. God, I'll do this for you. When you know you're a sinner, you can't pay for it yourself. What do you bring to God? Humility. You know, we we you just you have no words. So Elijah is issuing this challenge to them. How long are you guys going to waver back and forth to the idols or to God? You guys need a pick. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the true God or are you going to follow the false gods? Conviction of sin. 1822, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So here's the the challenge that Elijah is going to issue to them. 23, therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood. And I will put no fire under it either. 24, then you call. And this is the challenge that Elijah's. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. For all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So Elijah issued this challenge. Okay, let's find out who the true God is, and let's do it the way that you guys worship. Let's go on top of this mountain. You get a bull. I get a bull. You go and sacrifice, and we'll see which God's going to bring the fire to burn that sacrifice up. Okay, you guys go first because you're many. There's 450 of you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to go first and prove me wrong, and this is what's happening. Now Elijah said to the prophets, so, okay, 1826, so they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. They they leaped about the altar and they had made. So from nine o'clock to 12 o'clock, they did this. And they're calling on their God, Baal, come on, bring the fire, bring the fire. Prove Elijah wrong that you are the true God. Bring him, bring bring the fire down. Show this guy that you are the one and true God. Ain't that just like idols? Nothing was done. Like their God was silent. 28, so they cried aloud. I mean, 27, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them And say, hey, why don't you guys cry louder? For he is a God, right? He is your God, right? Why don't you, you know, cry a little bit louder so he can hear you? But maybe he is meditating or he is busy. Which in other translations say, maybe he's out using the restroom and, you know, he's relieving himself. Or he is on a journey. Or perhaps, hey, perhaps your God is sleeping and must be awakened. So you guys need to do something else to awaken your God up. (laughs) 28 says, so they cried aloud, they cried even more, they were louder even more, and then they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Can you imagine 450 dudes up there calling on calling on their false god? Their false god has no answers. They've been doing this for like three hours. Now they're going into the other three hours, and now they're shouting louder. They're jumping on their altars. They're dancing. They're trying to usher the god in. That's crazy. And yet we do it today. We may not do it like we were going to worship uh, Baal at a worship place. And they cut themselves. Idols will kill you. Think about the idols that are in people's lives. What about the drugs? They become idols. Slowly, that idol kills people. Thank God he can come in and just save the drug addict. Eliminate his uh his wanting for drugs. Because I've heard testimony after testimony, God does that. There's ministries out there that that come alongside. What about people who struggle with alcohol and that's their God? That's their idol. And they can't their that that idol they have, the alcohol they have, doesn't fill the void, so they keep taking the idol. They keep taking it in, keep taking it in. It doesn't fulfill them. It kills them. God comes in and saves them, eliminates the want for it. Idols will kill you. 29. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifices, but there was no voice. Listen to this. This is what their idols do. This is what our idols do. There's no voice. No one answered. No one pay attention. That's what idols will do. When we bow down to something, there's no answers for it. You simply get deeper into depression where you're at. So these guys have been worshiping for six hours, trying to call by out to bring fire. Nothing has happened. Six hours. Extreme worship. It's like us in church. Our emotions could get the best of us, but you are not saved by your emotions. You are only saved by Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? You can be emotional, come up here like Pastor Ben always says, and yet be saved. Just like these guys, they're very emotional in their worship, but they are not saved. Then Elijah says to the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. So God is inviting Israel to come back to him. Hey, Israel, come back to me. I'm here. Even though you sinned against me, I'm still going to pursue you and chase after you because I love you. And I am here. Come near to me. You've tore down my place of worship. You've tore it down, but I'm having Elijah rebuild back up. The altar, the true God needs to be worshiped at. 1831, and Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. That is Jacob's new name, Israel. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made it. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two says of seed. That's about three gallons of water. So Elijah builds his altar, twelve stones, um, and he put wood in, in order, cut the pieces, cut, cut the bull pieces, and lay it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour them on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Elijah's gonna prove to these guys there is nothing fake about this, and I'm gonna get the pots of water. And I want you guys to pour it on there. And then he said, do it a second time in 34. Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. Then they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he said, also fill the trench with water. So everything is filled with water. If if God was going to bring fire down, he needs to burn all that Wet stuff. Have you ever been in a place, maybe in the forest or at the beach where it's just hard to start a fire because the moisture in the air, everything, everything is just wet. When I see those survival shows and they're out and about, and they're like, you know, I'm a professional fire starter person. I don't need nothing. And yet they get out there in God's environment. And they're like, oh, this was so easy. I could have done it, but I don't know what's going on because the environment is wet. There's no moist, you know, moistures in the air. You can't start that fire. Elijah wanted to make sure that nobody can start this fire except God. And so in 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet came near and said, now this is the followers of Baal. They worship and tried to bring fire down for like six hours. And Elijah did his thing And look how long it took for God to answer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all things at your word. Elijah is praying. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned the hearts back to you again. Elijah's worship compared to the false worship. Elijah didn't have to jump. Elijah didn't have to dance. God is the one who did the miracle and he brought the fire. The third point, God showed up in 38. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the bird sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water and... The water that the trench in the, that was in the trench. Extreme heat. You know, I've been around some fires around a bonfire that was, you know, a piece of wood here, you know, it's getting bigger that you just dump a whole bunch of wood, spill a little bit of, uh, gasoline or whatever accelerant you have and it just, and then you have to step away. Like what did God have to perform in order to do that? And I bet it was just instantaneously. Like God said, bam. That was it. God showed up. 39. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Yeah, they repented, but not for long. Verse 40 says, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon to execute. And he executed every single one of them. That's what we need to do with idols in our lives. We don't need to be playing with them. We need to execute them when they appear. And idols start with thoughts, right? You're thinking. That's why the Bible tells us to renew your mind daily with the word of God. Every single temptation that we experience on this world, on this earth, in this lifetime, God has already provided a way out. God has already provided a way out. The thing is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to take that thought captive? I rebuke this thought in the name of Jesus. I will not fulfill it. So the drought ends. Elijah kills them. That's what we have to do. It's extreme. These are not fake idols. These are people that he killed. Evil people that usher in evil for the people of Israel to follow. Verse 41, we're coming to a close. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing there, Elijah. But Elijah told his servant seven times, go up, go up, go up. Sometimes God will not show up in your problem or concern or whatever you're dealing with the first time. But are we faithful enough to continue to seek him? Are we faithful to continue to show up? That's all God is asking us to do, to walk by faith, not by sight. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea, Elijah. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. My fourth and last point, God will use us to bless others for his glory. God will use you to bless others for his glory. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black and cl- with clouds and wind And there was a heavy rain, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God used Elijah to show Israel their sin of idolatry. To repent and turn back to the one true God, the God of Israel. To end the famine by blessing the land with rain. One man's obedience led God's will to be done because Elijah obeyed. He was obedient to the command of the Lord. He used that to bring rain to the land. The people of Israel repented, and you could read on because it doesn't end there. You could read on about Elijah. They repented for a little while, but then as we know in Scripture... They turned away again. Ain't that like us? God saves us. We know what we're safe from. And yet we run back to our old ways, to our old things. And God is telling us, if you're far away from him, he is right there. He is near to you more. God is more willing to chase us than we are to run back to him. He is a good God. And he deserves the best from us right church he deserves our worship he is faithful so as we go and close here maybe god has showed you something this week that you we that you need to work on that i need to work on maybe we have been far from god maybe we have been playing with idols Maybe you haven't even experienced God. Maybe you don't even know God. I think the most important thing in a Christian's life is to know God. To know God. That is the most important thing. Education is great. Being the best you can be, making money, status, all those things, they're great. But don't let it become your idols. Because idols will take you away from the one true and living God. Because where do we get knowledge from? God blesses you with knowledge. Where do you get your strength from? God blesses you with the strength and the health that you have. If you're here this morning, there's we have two major hospitals here in town that are filled with people who are on their dying beds. And I have personally known people that have passed away in my family. I don't know where they're at, but my message to you and to me is make an effort to know God. If that's being in his word more, listening to teachings, worship music, fellowship, make an effort to know God. Because he is life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. God, I know your Holy Spirit's in this place right now. Moving on our hearts. There's idols that we've raised up that need to be torn down, burned up, put to death. God, your love never fails. Just like you came and chased after Israel. Continuously, God, they would sin against you, go back to idols. You would bring someone, raise someone, because you are love. God, my prayer this morning for myself and my brothers and sisters here is to know you. Is to know you. Not know about you, Father, is to know you. Because when we do know you intimately, others would start to notice us. And then we can invite them to know you. Pray, God, this week that you would go before us, that we would take the time, the effort, the energy to know you. Help us to do that. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, his life. How he's seated right there next to you interceding for us, his brothers and sisters. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you that even though we're small in numbers here, you are mighty throughout this world. People worship you in different languages because we want to know you. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, Father. God, you gifted us with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that can take you away from us, Father, because you've sealed us until the day of redemption. No doubt, no worries, nothing could ever take us away from you. And we thank you for that, God. help us to know you this week. Not because others will see it, but because you see it, God. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would be bold like Elijah to proclaim the one true and living God. Thank you, Jesus.